joining us. Hi, Ferret. Hi, Flame. Hi, fandom. Happy holidays, everyone. Welcome to episode 19. This one is a flare only episode, so first Professor Flame gets on her soapbox about the fandom treatment of holidays before we get into some writing craft thoughts on creating mood. I'm going to share some of my cheeseball-tastic recommendations for holiday movies before we check in with you about holiday traditions, give you a life of an event update, and then finish with your events forecast. Huge thanks to Blushnik for our cover art and for helping us set the stage for this episode. Our Santa hats are on, the dreidels are spinning, and we have things to talk about, so let's get started. Later on in the episode, Ferret and I are going to talk about mood setting, and we'll use some holiday examples. Additionally, as we record this, it's December 5th, so the holidays, quotation marks around the phrase, are upon us. Of course, that's kind of bullshit because there are holidays all year round, but that's a hangover of the Eurochurch centric history and I'm getting really ahead of myself. I want to talk a little bit about holiday representations in fanfics and fandom. I'll mostly cover this time of year because of the juggernaut of Christmas, but you can apply this rant slash lecture to kind of year round. Marvel is an American centric fandom because the comics are generally either set in another dimension or in America. Most of the characters are, if they're humans, they're Americans. Most of them are even from or live in the New York metro area. And that is a subculture all on its own. As some of you or all of you may remember, I grew up in this part of the world and I live here again now. While our area is exceptionally multicultural, for instance, I got more days off from school for Jewish holidays than for Christian ones, and I went to a state-run school, it is still hella drenched in red and green this time of year, and we still have the whole war on Christmas bullshit in stores and all that kind of stuff. It's logical, therefore, that fandom accepts Christianity as the holiday that the Avengers would celebrate, but I do wish that we would branch out, I can't lie. Christmas is the ultimate mix of faith and commercialism that the United States breeds. We have what scholars call an American civic religion, which means that while we never had a state church and we have a constitutionally protected separation of church and state, more on that in a minute, the way we teach and express our nationalism is often religious in terms. This was kind of there for a while, but it really solidified in post-World War II era when we were desperate to show that we were the good guys. Look what we did in Europe, jazz hands. Ignore what we did in Asia, jazz hands. God was on our side, we swear, jazz hands. A brief detour into American Christianity, if you will allow me, because you have to. The United States was the first declared country to not have a state ordained church. Some of the colonies had them. Virginia was the Church of England and then Episcopalian, for example, depending on when we're talking. Maryland was founded as a Catholic colony, et cetera. But when we began our life as 13 states in a ratified constitution, the separation of church and state was baked in. A lot of you may be familiar with the freedom of religion in the Bill of Rights, and that's great. But even before we started amending, Article 6 of the Constitution says that absolutely no citizen can ever be subjected to a religious test to gain access to citizenship rights. So unlike in England, where at the time you had to be baptized into the Church of England to be a full and rightful citizen in practicality, the United States says, nah, bro, to that. Jefferson was a dickwad when it came to how he treated any human who didn't look like him, but he was a passionate advocate for those of us who crave religious freedom. 
And then James Madison took a look and said, right, not quite far enough, and put freedom of religion into the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution. Not only can they not test us, but they can't impose any religion on us, and they can never start a state church. Ever. Dunzo. Thanks for playing. Other countries followed to varying degrees. The French Revolution meant the death of the relationship between the church and state there. England's is still official, but they've skirted it quite a bit. Denmark has the Lutheran church as the state church, but they've amended that relationship a bunch. It's all a lot messier in other places. But what does that mean for here? And why did I just rant about that? It means that the largest and loudest religious groups in the United States could claim primacy without any official pushback. So the first waves of immigrants were Christians. And as they slaughtered the natives in some places and cooperated with them in the others, they could essentially say, we claim this land for Christ and the government could grit its teeth but not really do anything. It also means that we attracted a whole host of persecuted faith groups from Europe and oh buddy, did they affect how we formed our initial culture. Ask me sometime about Scottish immigrants and the KKK, for instance. But back to Christmas. Between Christians being the statistically most populous religion throughout the American history and still are now, about 70% of Americans claim either passionate or nominal Christianity on census data. A good old fashioned capitalism mixed with human nostalgia for what we never had. And you get this ubiquitousness of Christmas. So people are used to Christmas already. We associate Santa with it because Coca-Cola made his suit red and white in the early 1900s. So we'd associate it with their product. We crave cozy scenes because of the Courier and Ives paintings that were on cookie tins and the Norman Rockwell paintings that were on the cover of Saturday Evening Post for so long. We have a long history of Christmas movies because Hollywood wanted to make money. And even if it was full of people who didn't celebrate it, they knew that statistically not enough Americans would head out to watch a movie about Hanukkah. So they made Christmas movie after Christmas movie after Christmas movie, which means that in the collective subconscious of not only Americans, but anyone who consumes American media, Christmas is normative and conjures up a lot of set emotions that make thick writing easy. We all know what hanging stockings means because people have been singing those emotions in our ears for most of our lives. For me, Christmas is a deeply personal holiday and I loathe the commercialism around it. Yeah, I watch the Hallmark movies and I have a tree, but for me, Christmas is about the day that God wrapped themselves in skin and dwelt among us to teach us the best way to be human. We are to live in community and share our resources speak truth to power and sacrifice for our friends. We are to welcome outsiders, throw shade to hypocrites and make sure everybody always has enough to eat. This is how I know best to be human and why I stick around fandom and talk about it in the way that I do. Fandom is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination and I would never claim it to be so. But when you find your niche, it can feel a lot like what I just listed. Hanukkah celebrates really similar things and so does Diwali. The Jewish rhythms of ceremonies cover a good chunk of this, which shouldn't be surprising since a Jewish dude taught them to us. My limited understanding of both Hinduism and Buddhism tell me that these elements are inherent in them as well. And I know for sure that they are in Islam. My point is this, I deeply wish that we could have more religious representation all the time, but definitely around holidays. I wish we could see the fullness of the human experience through our characters that we love in this way, but I completely get what we don't. 
I'm sure there are other fandoms where more than Christmas appears this time of year, but ours is simply, I think, too New York centric. We want chestnuts roasting on open fires and Jack Frost nipping at our nose because that's what's happening outside of the tower and don't most of us wanna live in 2012 anyway? We want Kidfic where they go see Santa. We want our meat cutes where people are collapsing into coffee shops during marathon shopping expeditions. We know these scenes and these emotions and they feel familiar. They feel cozy and homey. They're also just really fucking easy to write, let me be honest. And so a lot of us can create quickly this time of year and that keeps the cycle going. So I'll be over here being a hypocrite and still writing Christmas fic, I can't lie, but I'll continue to feel some sort of way about it. I'll do my best to write about Christmas the way I see it as a holiday that can celebrate the best of humanity in the hopes that people can write about their holidays that celebrate the same thing. Speaking of holidays, anyone who wants to write me Steve having a moment that the flag has 50 stars on his first flag day, I accept that with open arms. Next up, Fair and I are going to explore this idea of mood that I've already played with a little bit further. So stay tuned. Today on Creator Corner, we're going to talk about something that many of you have probably unconsciously engaged with, but may not have been something you explored or thought about from a critical perspective. And that is mood. So what is mood, first of all? The mood of a story or a piece of art is the feeling it evokes in the reader. It's the sense of the piece, the way it invites you to feel while you consume that piece. It's the joining together of setting, context, and description, the vibe. Mood is the vibe. As is the way with many things, you may roll through several different moods in one work, and then there's an overall mood of the whole piece. So how do we set the mood? We're mostly gonna be talking about writing here, by the way, but a lot of this actually applies to visual art as well. You're just gonna pull these things in in visual ways instead of through your writing. The easiest way to set a mood in your piece is through description, particularly description that that leans into the five senses. We can use collective or shared sense memories to evoke certain feelings in our reader. Now, many of these sense connections may not be the ones that the reader has actual real life experiences of, but in addition to the shared experiences, we also have shared cultural sense triggers that are the results of popular media, stereotypes, tropes, or cultural or religious concepts. Someone who lives somewhere where it doesn't snow may still associate snow with the end of your holidays because of the way that time of year is presented in a stereotypical fashion. Of course, there's a whole other conversation that can be explored about which of these collective sense memories are having a negative or erasive impact or are the result of cultural or religious suppression, but that's not really why we're here today. Though I'm sure Flame would love to talk about in the server if you want after and also brings us back to her soapbox earlier. So you can run with that. But right now we're focusing on the collective sense memories we can use to trigger emotions in our reader and to set the mood. I'd also like to acknowledge that collective does not mean universal. It won't land exactly the same for everyone and that's just how people work. For example, the scent of roses means romance for a lot of people or certain perfumes maybe. But I had a bad experience as a kid where I was really sick and there were fresh, very smelly roses in the room the whole time. And now I just can't help but think of that when I smell roses and it really grosses me out. These aren't psychological triggers, they don't cause flashbacks, but we all have personal sense memories that can override our shared cultural sense memories. 
Of course, that being said, I still process what the expected mood is for that setting if someone sets something up using the scent of roses. And while my initial personal reaction might be, ew, once I've moved past that, I can sink into the expected mood. While we're talking about setting mood, we also need to talk about the age old writing advice, show, don't tell. I know we have said this on the pod in passing. This is one of the concrete examples of narrative writing. It's one of the areas where this is most critical, this idea of mood setting, the showing and not telling, and also possible the areas, possibly one of the areas where it's easy to, easiest to see what that really means. Our goal is not to tell the reader how they should be feeling, but to actually recall those feelings inside of themselves through our words. So let's do a show don't tell example that will include a five senses example as well. Consider these two passages. Steve was very happy. Today was Christmas and he was going to spend it celebrating with the people who had become his family over the last few years. He arrived at the tower with the cookies he had made on a plate. He couldn't wait to eat them as they were his favorite flavor. Someone had made a fire which Steve appreciated considering how cold it was outside. Tony, Bruce, and Natasha were in the kitchen cooking, and Clint and Thor were decorating the tree. Steve loved his family and couldn't wait to share the holiday with them. And now this one. The fire cracked merrily behind the grate as Steve slipped inside the cozy apartment. He stopped the snow off his boots before sliding his feet out of them, precariously balancing a huge plate of his homemade gingerbread cookies in one hand and a bag of paper-wrapped presents in the other. The heat from the fire made his nose tingle as it started to thaw. From the kitchen came the sound of Tony, Bruce, and Natasha's laughter and the mouth-watering aroma of roasting turkey. For a moment, Steve just breathed it in, closing his eyes and letting a soft smile play across his lips. He set the bag of presents down and smoothed the foil over the corner of the cookie plate where he'd snuck one in the car, then followed the whisper of carols that came from the corner where Clint and Thor were hanging ornaments, bathed in the twinkling multicolored lights that dotted the tree. Ostensibly, those two paragraphs describe the exact same moment but in very different ways. One uses the five senses and a bunch of collective sense memories that we have about the holidays, Christmas specifically, to evoke those feelings in the reader. The other reports what is happening and how the POV character is feeling. It doesn't encourage the reader to have feelings of their own at any point in time. The second paragraph doesn't even use the word Christmas. It tells you much less but it shows you so much more. And it hopefully brings to the front of your mind the feelings of warmth, family, happiness, love, excitement that the first passage tells you is happening, but doesn't do anything to allow you to have those feelings well up in your own soul. There are so many cues we can use to build mood. Some are very specific, like ones like these ones that are attributed to specific holidays, while others are very broad. Wine and dark chocolate can feel romantic, dark empty hallways and eerie noises feel scary, and rich food and warm blankets feel cozy and homey. If you're struggling to set the mood, take a moment to close your eyes and think about what sights, smells, tastes, touches, and sounds are connected to that feeling for you, and think about how you might work those in. Remember that mood is creating a feeling in the reader, not the character. For instance, you can read a terrifying scene where the POV character isn't scared at all, but the reader knows something scary is going to happen and has been fed that horror mood and therefore is spooked on their behalf. That reminds me of a really great article that was in Book Riot recently that we're going to put in the show notes. And I know um, 
mod, uh, Moody shared in our server about the fact that horror isn't a genre, it's a mood. Uh, yes, I did see that. Yeah, so I'll link that in the show notes because it's a it's an interesting conversation. That article, if anyone's sort of still struggling to process how mood is different from some other literary devices like tone, then that's a good article to help give you a grounding in that as well. Yeah, Kelly Jensen, the author, is a really great YA author in particular. Um, and she's a good one to follow for talking about uh, the emotions behind narratives and things like that. Um, I also, just a minor plug, love the Book Riot website. If you're ever looking for reading recommendations, Book Riot is a great place to go. Back to our discussion. <laughs> you also need to go beyond mood and establish how your characters feel and build the tone of the plot and the dialogue and the relationships. You need to, just setting the mood, of course, is not going to be enough. You can build on top of your use of collective sense memories with personal sense memories to give your characters personal depth. For example, candlelight might evoke a holiday feeling for a lot of people. That's a collective sense memory that can be used for several moods. But for me, the smell of Emmentaler cheese and Kirsch screams Christmas Eve for me because we always had cheese fondue for dinner that night when I was growing up. I'm sure there's someone else out there who has the same sense memory, but it's not so common or ubiquitous or ubiquitous that has become a collective one for any broader cultural, societal, or religious group. You can think about those things for your character. Use recognizable triggers to set the mood for your reader, then build up personal sense memories and experiences to give depth, variety, and interest. The way they react to those sense experiences will show the reader how the character feels, and the mood you inspire will bring the reader along for an emotional journey of their own. You can also subvert the mood that you yourself set by building a mood one way and then suddenly crashing it in another direction. Like a sweet, cozy, romantic date that is violently interrupted by a giant robot crashing through the wall, which I think I've read that thick. <laughs> it will put your readers on edge just as much as the character itself. Or you could also be writing a cozy family holiday vibe, but the POV character is miserable and hating every moment, which I've also read several Stony fix that way. <laughs> One of the two of them won't fucking use their words. As with all literary devices, you have to subvert things with intention. Going against the grain of your mood or establishing multiple conflicting moods just for shits and giggles can put a reader on edge. It's gonna make them wary of trusting the story, maybe even emotionally lost, that they're gonna disengage from the characters they're supposed to connect with. And in AO3 land, they're probably gonna hit the back button. Mm -hmm. Going against the grain of your mood on purpose can drive a reader's interest and curiosity, can shock or startle or scare them or bring forth a frustration, stress, excitement, and it makes it for a page scroller. <laughs> or maybe to hit the subscribe button if you're doing a thing. Like for instance, I just wrote a fic, a chapter in a fic that is really lovey-dovey. It was super porny actually, everything was great. And then in the last about six lines, I tell you that a terrible crime has happened. <laughs> And it's going to be a shock, but it's going to feel good at the same time. It's an engaging shock. <laughs> yeah. Be aware of the mood you're trying to set and put the work into incorporating it into your descriptions. Oftentimes these sorts of things are added in later drafts. So don't worry if it's not coming out the first time, but taking a moment to do some scene and mood setting as you write your first draft can also really help you narrow down what your goals are for the story like how you want the reader to feel, how you want the characters to feel, what the story is working towards emotionally. So even if not all of it ends up in the story itself, doing a bit of mood setting, even just for you, can be a great way to kick off with a new idea. 
in passages of description, explore those five senses, lean into collective sense memories and build little teases at the edges of your story that imply more. There's a world outside this moment. These characters have pasts and they have futures and they have personal sense memories of their own. This is a great thing to play with around Christmas in particular when you're writing a canon fic because how Steve experienced Christmas prior to the ice and how he experiences it now are going to be more diametrically opposed than almost any other character. And you can really play with, so roasting chestnuts in New York smell the same, sure, but they're going to evoke different emotions in him. Um, and kind of that, that kind of exploration of even what the different things a smell can mean. Think about your characters and your story kind of getting fuzzy around the edges. You want people to believe that you could keep writing forever, even though you won't. Instead of cutting things off sharply and making things really bounded, use this mood to imply the things you're not saying and let a reader sink in to this piece of the multiverse you're creating. And remember above all when you're talking about mood. Show, so don't, don't tell. tell. <laughs> asking around on the discord and the tumblr and the twitter about what kind of holiday content you guys would like the thing that overwhelmingly won was me talking about holiday movies so here you go i don't know if this is because i i talked very drunkenly about romance novels on one of our drunken podcasts which by the way i realized listening back that i said i was going to give you my top five and i stopped after three because i got drunk and distracted hashtag on brand so talking really briefly about holiday movies people love or hate holiday movies listen i get it and we all have very strong feelings about them also i get it fundamentally holiday movies are trope fests like every single one of them is i think it, gk chesterton is very famous for saying there are only you know five different stories that people tell um, and we all just keep recycling them over and over and over again. I mean, Joseph Campbell has the hero's journey and he kind of broke that all down. Chesterton just says it a little bit more succinctly. Um, and Christmas, like holiday movies are, are no different. There are not a lot of great holiday movies that don't involve Christmas. And obviously I talked about this earlier in the pod that both like doesn't surprise me at all and infuriates me in equal measure. So really quick, if you're curious as to the ones that I gravitate towards every year, Got a couple quick ones for you. First of all is White Christmas. One thing to say, like it, it's, it's a movie of its time. And I would just encourage you to fast forward through everything about the minstrel show. Just like, go ahead and give that a pass. Um, but the, it is one of my favorite movies of all time because it is so purely itself. It is completely ridiculous. And the songs are all amazing. And Rosemary Clooney could literally like, she's vocal butter like that. Oh yes, thank you. Although I have serious questions about why the gloves were needed in the nightclub scene. You, we can talk about that on Discord. The second is the new Jim Carrey Grinch. I understand this is controversial. We also love the cartoon version in the, in the Flame family. 
but the Grinch, the newfangled Grinch, the Jim Carrey, Ron uh, Howard one is kind of sacrosanct in our family. And this brings up a really important thing. A huge part of holiday movies are the emotions around them rather than the quality of the film more so than some other genres of movies or categories of movies. A lot of us have memories watching this with family or with friends at certain times. Like The Grinch may not be a great movie, but it's one of my favorites because I have incredible memories with my family watching it. My brother also does a bang on Grinch impression. And I have a real thing for Christine Baranski and she's hilarious in that movie. Um, I just have to fast forward through Taylor Momsen singing every time because like Tiny Moppets singing is not my jam moving on love actually is a christmas movie i will hear absolutely no arguments i watch it every christmas since it came out in the year of our lord 2003 uh lots of theories i never watch any of the storylines about the condom guy he's creeptastic my absolute favorite storyline is is hugh grant and the secretary i understand that that is a power dynamic problematic situation i don't care i don't care it's never going to happen in real life it didn't happen to me in real life i find it charming also, there were more than one lobster present at the birth of Jesus. Please tell me how that's not hilarious. I also love that it shows the heartbreak and the hardness of the holiday. I've been in some of the like character, you know, situations. But if anyone ever asks me to describe what heartbreak looks like, I talk about Emma Thompson opening the bracelet that's not the necklace that's not for her from Alan Rickman. Oh, heartbreaking. Uh, Miracle on 34th Street, it's got to be the original one and it's got to be in black and white. I will hear no arguments. Gotta love Elf, the world's best coffee, all the food groups, Zoe Deschanel singing in the bathroom. Lots to love about Elf. Lots and lots to love about The Holiday, which is one that is a classic. I actually get asked to rewrite this as Stony, uh, probably, I don't know, once a month at this point now. And it's on my trope, uh, my movie fest prompt list. I loathe Cameron Diaz with the heat of a Nova and she does not ruin this movie for me. So it's truly delightful. I love it. It's the best Jack Black performance for my money and Jude Law with those two daughters. I mean, I don't like care about children or having them. I mean, I care about children, come on now, but like that doesn't really do things for me, but like, oh, my ovaries like exploded at that scene in the tent. Come on. Another thing about holiday movies is family. So the piece de resistance of Christmas movies for me is the Muppet Christmas Carol. I quote it year round. Anytime someone says Muppets to me, I will say light the, light the lamp, not the rat. Uh, it's just amazing. There goes Mr. Humbug. There goes Mr. Yeah, guys, I love it. I also love Charlie Brown Christmas for nostalgia factors. I watch it every Christmas. Um, actually wrote a paper on it in seminary. Love Charlie Brown Christmas. Now, the Hallmark, Netflix, Lifetime, BET, Oprah's Network, explosion of holiday movies on the television. I could go on and on about them for a long time, but I want to tell you the two best for my money are The Nine Lives of Christmas, which is several years old, but stars Brandon Routh, who was Superman in the 2006 Superman movie, as a firefighter who accidentally adopts a cat excuse me, who in our fandom is not going to love this um, and is trying desperately to paint his house with the right shade of white. It's precious. And a woman who loves cats and is a little bit of a disaster and then they fall in love. It's amazing. And then this year's One Royal Holiday, which stars Laura Osnes and Aaron Tveit. Aaron Tveit is a secret prince. 
who doesn't love those? She's like at a bed and breakfast, who cares? It's perfect. Um, also shout honorable mention for the Robert Downey Jr. flick, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which takes place at Christmas and therefore can slide in. Some movies do not qualify for me as Christmas movies, but they still take place at Christmas. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is on that edge for me. I am not in the camp that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. You can at me all you want. You're not going to convince me it's a Christmas movie because part of Christmas movie is the tropes and the nostalgia and the, the way it works. And it's not, it doesn't work like that. Speaking of things that don't work like that, Last Christmas, this abomination that came out last year starring Daenerys Targaryen. Guys, it's not, no, no. Holiday movies need to end happily with good feelings and warm fuzzies that movie does not see also it's a wonderful life i hate that movie it's depressing we spend half the time like no why are we doing this why am i why am i being sad during a movie if i'm already why why am i doing this again i respect that you may love it you can at me you're not like this is fine this is a flame talks christmas movies kind of situation you do not have to agree with me, except for the fact that The Muppet Christmas Carol is the greatest Christmas movie. And on that front, you must agree. Before we get going on your views on holidays in Community Talks, the organizers of the What to Finish auction for Philippine Cyclone Relief would like us to tell you that they raised $2,400 all from their fandom works. That's amazing. Yay. Yay. <laughs> We're both so happy that that was able to happen. Congratulations on an event well done. And I can't wait to see what comes out of it. Absolutely. I already got my art from one of the auctions I won and it made all of my dreams come true. So I'm sure everyone will feel the same way about their auctions and we can't wait to read the good works from it. So uh, we asked around in the server and on our social media about what kinds of holiday traditions or celebrations or activities you guys like to get up to. Uh, but before we get into that, I know, Flame, you promised you would tell some of yours. So what kind of things do you do this time of year? I know they're really important to you. They are because I'm a cheese ball and so is my family. But the biggest thing is that this time of year is when we kind of work out our Danish heritage the most, I think. So there's some very specific Scandinavian holiday traditions that we do. And when I was growing up, we would spend Christmas with my dad's side of the family who are all Danish. Um, and the number one thing is this idea of hiding a nut in a dessert. Mm -hmm. So in Denmark, my relatives who still live in Copenhagen use rice pudding and everybody gets a dish of rice pudding and whoever has the almond in the rice pudding wins a prize and bragging rights forever <laughs> slash for the year. So my family does it with chocolate pudding because my grandma had a thing against rice pudding. She couldn't stand it. Valid. But the <laughs> competition for who wins the nut is the fiercest thing in that side of my family. <laughs> and who wins it for the year gets a uh, Russell Stover's chocolate Santa and to take home the Christmas cup for the year which is this like tin literally just like a little tin cup but we all put it in this place of honor on our shelves if we win for the year there's specific rules around trading um there's like it's a whole thing and we I'm, we won't get to do it this year which makes us all pretty sad 
Um, and then there's- Maybe you could do some sort of digital um, nut hiding experience, some sort of nut lottery. <laughs> A nut lottery. Ooh, maybe I'll need some uh, creativity on that front. Yeah. Um, I'm not that kind of creative, but yeah, the Christmas nut, like my, I have friends from college that will, I don't talk to for the rest of the year, but they will still message me around Christmas and be like, so who won the nut this year? When's the um, last time you won the nut? Oh, two years ago. Nice. And then my um, brother won it last year and my sister-in-law won it the year before me. So it has been in our side of the family and living on our, the rest of my family lives in New Jersey and then we live in Pennsylvania. So this is now also the battle of the rivers, right? Um, So it has been on the proper side of the river for several years now, which is where it should be. Um, So yeah. And then we've got one that I like a lot too, that is German, I believe, but also in Scandinavia, because I've got some Danish relatives that do it, where you put live candles on the tree and very carefully, we have like buckets of sand and fire extinguishers and all of that. And everybody gets to light one in grief for something that passed and in hopes of something that is coming. And it's a really centering activity for me personally and something that I look forward to every year, even the years that we did Christmas with Mr. Flame's family in Northern Ireland, I would do a tiny little kind of ceremony for myself around this one um, to kind of really think about what the year was. I mean, this year mourning things is not going to be difficult, Um, but I think it's gonna be harder for some of us to hold to hope and what that kind of looks like and and how we work that out. And so that'll be a huge part of my uh, discipline as I keep Advent. and what that kind of looks like. So the other silly ones, like you guys just heard all of my stuff, my feelings about movies. I have some obviously strong feelings about those, but I do the same thing. Some of the people in our server talked about where you open one gift on Christmas Eve. Um, A couple people talked about that. Um, Moody talked about ornaments. Ornaments are really important to us too. And I think that's the same for a lot of people I know where we get like significant ornaments, not all matching ones from Target. Uh, kind of situation that seems to be a common thing a couple people mentioned that then what do you remember what else people talked about um there were a lot of specific foods and drinks that people mentioned you know like Christmas Eve dinner is a common one for everyone to have a specific meal but not for it to be the same from family to family yeah that's true so uh, I mentioned in the previous one that we always had um cheese fondue which I didn't like as a kid but then so for for me I always had like a fasting night where I just eat a little bread and some pickles <laughs> before and everyone else ate fondue. I like it now as an adult person though. Kirsch is still disgusting, but, um, yeah, it's not for me either. Uh, there were several drinks, hot chocolate and apple cider were mentioned as well as drinking custard, which yeah, sounds like sounds vanilla and disturbing. Yeah. Like kind of an eggnoggy sort of thing. I mean, I honestly have never had eggnog, so I, oh, I get it every year. I get one like small container of it from Wawa every year. And, and that's it for me. That's enough. It but, sounds like, like a, a horror show for the lactose intolerant. Oh yes. But living in this part of the world kind of is a horror show for the lactose intolerant. Yeah, so it's true. I'm not, not, you know, if I'm willing to eat ice cream, I should be willing to, there's something about drinking something. I think it's because when you eat something, the, like you take the lactose pills at the same time as you eat it and it's fine but I, I'm a sipper. I don't like chug anything. So I have this horrible feeling that I would keep sipping on it for too long. <laughs> Fair. Although I'll tell you room temperature eggnog is one of the abominations of man. Okay. So, anything that any drink 
that can't, that becomes disgusting at room temperature is not going to be something that I like in general. So no, thank you. Yeah, no, we'll keep it from you. That's fine. Um, more for me. <laughs> uh, we had lighting the menorah mentioned, eating fried foods. Lots of people talked about board games, either specific board games or just the fact that the holidays meant their whole family was home and therefore they could play board games together, which was something that was harder to organize during the year. I, from some of our UK and Irish listeners too, and I, I, there is the conversations around the Christmas specials that happen around every year, very specifically. Uh, yes. Like the Doctor Who Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Mr. Flame wanted me to put in the Late Late Toy Show from Ireland. It is not Christmas for him without the Late Late Toy Show, um, which is an institution in that country. Um, so lots, lots of those kind of things. It's fun. The things that we all like all of us who celebrate this holiday, there are so many things that we share, like, you know, versions of, but there are really distinct ones in different cultures. Like we learned, for instance, from Kat, that there's a, some sort of lead metal based divination tradition. We'll link it in the show notes because I think you need to kind of see the picture, but the idea seems to be that you melt a little bit of lead in a melting cup and pour it out and the shapes that it makes are that's how you you can tell the future so i guess you know you tell it i think it's a great time of year to tell people's fortunes because i think it's really gonna bring so that's cool and i'm a little distressed about the use of lead i don't know maybe somebody who knows more about lead poisoning can tell me if that's worrisome or not but perhaps in small amounts it's fine um yeah what i loved so much about it was that when she shared it in the server she said like as though we would all know what it was and this isn't a shade on her at all. I love that. I love that it is so universal where she is and so enjoyed and personal there. It would be assumed that everyone celebrates it. Yes, um, you must be able to buy stuff for it, which, you know. I wonder if there are kids. do that here. Yeah. Yeah, I love this. I love this so much. I know I have a friend who is Sri Lankan and when she celebrates Christmas in Sri Lanka, there are all these very specific foods that she eats that look completely different from mine. And she was here once for Christmas and she kept asking me where we got mango tart. And I was like, in Sri Lanka. (laughs) We don't do that here. (laughs) That's like um, some of our uh, Southern hemisphere friends said that a popular Christmas family activity is a water gun fight. Oh yes. That would not happen in either where you or I live without trips to the emergency room. Yep, that would be a, that would be an ER situation, but it does sound fun. <laughs> yeah, my friends and I, not in fandom, but I'm in, in a circle of friends I have on Marco Polo. We are all having a massive joking fight right now about what meat, like what protein is appropriate for Christmas dinner. Okay, like turkey versus ham or turkey, roast beef, ham, mm-hmm. brisket. Okay. Chicken, um, or like venison. Oh. All right. And it is very like dependent on where you grew up in the country. Like I have friends that are throwing down that any of us who don't eat brisket on Christmas do not actually love the baby Jesus. And I'm like, well then, interesting. have I been led astray for 37 years because never in a day. Venison feels festive to me. Yeah, I could get behind venison for sure. I'm sure there are parts of the country uh, in parts of North America where bison is eaten on Christmas. Yeah. Just not, not in my family, we are a ham on Christmas family, family. Bison is always burgers to me, maybe because it's easier to transport that way. I've never had like a bison roast. We have tried to make it into, we have tried to put it into tacos and we have tried to put it into spaghetti bolognese and it has not worked. 
Yeah, well, it's always like minced, right? Like, but we do those things with the mince. It's not. It tastes. My my no, brother. But I'm I, saying I, like you can only buy it as a mince. I've never seen it available as not either minced or jerky. At least where I am. Yeah, no, we've only seen it minced or in bur- uh, already um, made burgers. Yeah. But yeah, no, we've not seen it any other way. But yeah, we've tried to use it like you would use mints and we have not been successful. It's probably a fat ratio. Probably. That's our thought. Cause it doesn't like grip, like the way my brother said it this week, cause they tried to do um, bison tacos instead of their turkey tacos that they do every week. Mm. And it didn't grip any of the seasoning. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So yeah. he was like, it just tasted like meat and quesadillas. And I was like, oh, that's not pleasant. <laughs> he was like, no, we did not enjoy it. We ordered pizza. All right, total um, side note, if anyone has a great bison recipe. Seriously, we could put it in the Potsluck uh, recipe book if someone knows how to cook bison really well. Totally. So all in all, I think we talked about this in Mood and I talked about it in the, um, in like throughout this whole episode, but a huge part of the holidays is physically how they make you feel. And a lot of these traditions are about sense memories and emotional memories and you know, we as humans craft our lives around traditions. They're really important to a lot of us and we live in certain rhythms and that's, that's really important. And I, I want to acknowledge just very briefly, not to dwell at all, but we know that for a lot of people, including some, some folks that have shared with us in fandom, that the rhythms of this year include grief, of this time of year deeply include grief. Um, and I just want to say that if that is true for you, please never feel like you have to participate in the holiday with the rest of us. We do not need you to be jolly for us. We do not need you to perform festiveness for us. Um, There are places within fandom where we will hold your grief as well. Never feel like you have to be a part of this if this is not something that rings true for you. I know the ubiquitousness of of Christmas right now can be oppressive. Uh, and I want to acknowledge that and, and also just say, you know, if you've got to run away for a little bit, run away for a little bit. Like fandom will be here when you get back. Um, but my fa- one of my favorite services that we used to do in a church that I went to in Texas was the blue Christmas service where the Sunday before Christmas, all of us kind of gathered and, and grieved and mourned um, either for people that lost loved ones at time of, at, and the time of year was hard or just the year was a shithole and we needed to kind of acknowledge that. Um, but, but I, if you're having a blue Christmas and not in the Elvis Presley way, um, like, you know, I see you and know that that's, we understand that's part of traditions too. We also want to say that we know this year in particular might be a challenge. A lot of people aren't going to be able to do the traditions they're used to or be with family that they want to be with or any other number of roadblocks in the way of whatever this season means to you. But I also think that Um, you can find, as we talked about, it is about the feeling. It's about the, the sense memories and the, the emotions it creates in you. So there are ways sometimes that you can kind of get around the restrictions by finding a twist on the traditions that you know and love. Maybe you don't have room in your place for a tree and you'd normally go home to your parents' house to celebrate with their tree, but you can buy, um, you can get tiny trees that sit on a table, or maybe you can make one out of construction paper. The first year that my parents moved out, they had zero money. They bought this pack of, they were like balsa wood decorations and you popped them out and they popped them all out and they painted all of them. And it was the only ornaments they had on their teeny little tree. 
but it was about the feeling of having a tree and decorating it. So maybe buy a string of lights and wrap them around your monitor at home or do a Zoom call with the people you miss, light a candle, whatever, whatever gets the feeling in you, hopefully you can find a way to make the holidays special for you and your family this year, even if it's not quite the same as it normally is. We hope that our conversation about this has maybe helped in that process. We will certainly be around our server throughout the holidays because not doing any of the traditions I just listed. Um, so if you're looking for a chatting partner, I know I'll be around um, and a lot of us will be you. No matter what this time of year normally means for you or what it is going to mean for you in the next bunch of weeks, there are lots of fandom opportunities to celebrate in a way. There are stocking events and bingos and all sorts of things. And we are going to talk about our bingo in the next section, Life of an Event. Welcome back to Life of an Event. Since the last time we talked, we've opened for fills. We are incredibly encouraged by how enthusiastic everybody is, for sure. I was laughing last night a little bit um, as we were, we were recording this on the day we opened Phil's and I was giggling to myself last night watching the server, the people who were very angry that we lived in a different time zone than them <laughs> and were therefore opening Phil's in our time zone. Uh, we already have some incredible stories and some wonderful art and we are just over 12 hours into the collection being open. By the time you guys hear this, it'll have been open for just about a week, just a little under a week. Um, and so hopefully we'll have even more. It was actually really fun having the gap between people getting their cards and Phil's opening being a couple of weeks because it was really fun to people see people get excited and trying to keep things a secret. And a couple of people amassed a few Phil's that they were sitting on. And uh, I think it just drives some of the that excitement just drives a lot of positivity for people. And I think it'd be possible to stretch that gap too long and have people lose interest, but having a little bit of a gap there, I think was motivating for people. It sort of feels like you're yeah. part of a secret club a little bit because like everybody's working together, but in secret to get their stuff ready. And then we're all excited to see what it's going to be. Yeah. And I got a couple DMS that were like, can you look at this and tell me if it's going to be okay? And I like, I don't want to, I can't post anywhere because It's totally in secret. And I was like, first of all, it's going to be okay. This is the lowest maintenance bingo you'll ever be in. And two, I will be delighted to. Um, it's like, it's yeah. It's like being part of a secret little club um, that we're all working towards the same thing, which is more Steve, Tony, Bucky fan works, <laughs> please. Um, I also am already having a ton of fun seeing how people are using their squares. Yes, a lot of creativity, even just with a couple of things we've seen so far. So far, and a couple of them, I'm like, wow, that's not the direction I would have taken it at all. That's so <laughs> much fun. Uh, yeah, can't wait. Can't wait to see what comes next. From a mod perspective, um, in some ways, this is kind of the hardest stage to stay engaged with from an administrative point of view, because we've done the bulk of it. And we just have to keep an eye and make sure that anybody who still signs up from now until signups are fully closed gets their card in a prompt fashion and that anyone who asks for changes gets those responses back as well. And it's exciting to get caught up in the buzz of the fills and to read what people made and to be filling your own card and posting. And uh, so 
like just from a Maudley advice perspective, it's important to remember that there is, while it's much slower, there is, that's in some ways that makes it harder because you have to remember to actively go and look and, and make sure that people are being served as they need to be. And so that's something to keep in mind. And because it does continue on for quite some time, you also have to, as a mod team, be aware that people are gonna, the, by people, I mean the mod team itself, each member of the mod team is gonna have times when they're cycling in and out over the lengthy period of time that the event is run. And so everyone kinds of ebbs and flows in, in when they're able to put in a lot of time and when they're not. And uh, that's just kind of the nature of mod teams. But also once again, as we've said many times about running events, all the more reason to have a couple of people. Yeah, and this is a bingo in particular, which is a very long-term event. You know, ex exchanges are different. Like everything, every event topic has its own kind of quirks. Mm -hmm. and one of the things with the bingo is they tend to be longer and they tend to be the longest ones in my experience in fandom. And one of the benefits of that is if you have a communal space, like a discord server or a dream, a dream with community or what have you, other people can answer your questions too, for you. Like as a mod team, you kind of get like pseudo deputy mods. There's like a community support and the more information gets spread around, the more people absorb it, the more they reflect it to other people. And it just becomes a constantly like reaffirming <laughs> rule situation. Yeah. And it also becomes like everybody gets excited about creating within the boundaries you've already set. Mm -hmm. And so they own the boundaries as well. Right. Um, and like, there's definitely ways that that can be dicey. You've got to watch, like we've, all run events. Like, I don't think I've talked to a single mod ever who has run an event that hasn't had misinformation get out there because of enthusiasm. Um, yeah. And so it, it's something you have to, you know, keep an eye on. But for me personally, and I think Farrah agrees, the, the pros of having a community create that knowledge it outweighs the cons. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so the, in, in a bingo in particular, it's great because especially we're going to have people with um, multiple people with the same squares. Yes. Um, so that's going to be great. The brainstorming aspect is great. We've gotten a lot of questions of like, well, how, like, what if I don't know what to do with my square? And I'm like, fantastic. Join the discord server. Like you have no, or in whatever discord server you are in on Tumblr, on Twitter, like find a friend, like the internet wants to tell you how to write things because we all want to sound smart. So find a corner of the internet, ask what you should do with this square and then go do it. Yeah. By the time we talk to you again, it will still be in fill. So I don't entirely know if we'll do another life of an event for a little while, guys. Yeah, um, there might be a gap. Just, you know, we'll talk to you again if something happens <laughs> that we want to share or when we get to sort of the generic card transition then we'll definitely be back to talk about that for sure for sure but that transitions at the end of january so we'll probably uh put life of an event to bed for a little bit and we'll see you when it's time that being said though if you guys ever have questions about how we're running an event or you know from the life of an event perspective if you have anything from behind the scenes besides tea, which we won't spill, <laughs> that you want to know, um, you can always ask us and we'll throw in a little special life of an event to answer your question. And in the meantime, if you're considering right, running an event, not a bingo, of your own, and you've got questions about other kinds of events, we can turn this into an advice column pretty easily. So let us But know. also check out our bonus episode we did about running events if you haven't already, and that might answer some of your questions already. So uh, we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.
Hi fandom, I'm Only More Love, back with your events forecast. Today I'll be sharing some info with you about what's going on, challenge-wise, in a Marvel fandom near you. Here's the usual note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast linked and explained in the show notes of each episode over on podonthesuit.com. Let's move on to the fun stuff. Feeling the holiday magic yet? If so, the Marvel Holiday Fest, a prompt fest based on holiday movie plots accepting all ships and without minimum requirements, is still open for fills until January 31st. Give us some mistletoe in remote castles or fake holiday dating. The Go Bang Yourself Bang signups stay open until December 31st. So if you're feeling brave, go for it and create art or fic for an existing fic or art piece of yours. A new community bingo has also been started by the Marvelous Aces blog on Tumblr. To subvert traditionally romantic tropes, or tropes that tend to explicit content, with A-spec characters, check out their Marvelous Aces Holiday Bingo card. Alongside its yearly holiday exchange, the Cap IM community is once again hosting its Cap IM Holiday Community Prompts, open for fills until December 27th. No minimums. There are literally hundreds of prompts, so we're sure that you'll find your fit. And you're also not obligated to follow the prompts to the letter. So, you know, there's even more room for fun. The Com also announced its annual set of Remix events. Sign-ups for the Remix Exchange and the Remix Relay will go on from December 7th to December 21st, with a due date of February 7th for the exchange. All reveals for the Relay and Exchange will be starting by February 16th. Remix Madness, a Remix Fest, will also go on starting January 10th and through February 20th. Madness has no minimum requirements and is open to all types of fanworks. It's open also to all ages, whereas the Relay and Exchange are 18-plus events. For any questions on how remixing a work goes, please check out the detailed post on the Cap Iron Man community. And because it's that time of year again, the Put on the Suit server is also hosting a second round of its stony stockings, and today is the last day to sign up to hang yours on our collective mantelpiece to get some great little gifts come February 13th. If you're not already on the server, you'll find an invite link in our server in appropriately named Links to Other Servers channel. The STB, Steve, Tony, Bucky, Bingo, is also still open for personalized card requests until January 31st. If you miss that mark, however, you'll still be able to request a generic card from February 1st through May 31st. The round itself has opened for fills on the 1st of this month. It's time to post all the good content, friends. All combinations of Steve, Bucky, and Tony are allowed, so you get to play with no less than four ships in any medium you want, and without requirements other than responsible tagging. Enjoy! This is also a reminder that the Winter Iron Week is back with new mods. 
Go check out the page and get ready to create amazing fan works for the prompts to post from December 14th through December 20th. The Winter Iron Reverse Bang artist signups close December 10th, so don't miss out. Submissions are open until January 3rd, with claims happening on January 9th, and posting scheduled to start by March 1st. Just a reminder as well that the Brucemas Week will be happening from December 14th to December 21st. So if you ship either or both of our boys with Bruce and his green pal, have fun. Also, as announced last episode, a very Darcy Advent bingo will be running for the entirety of December. So likewise, if you ship Steve Darcy or Tony Darcy or a poly variation of these three, go for it. And finally, the Marvel Scramble is also back for a holiday edition. Sign up through their Google form and throw in two characters and a trope, and you may end up creating something for Tony or Steve or for a totally unexpected set of characters, depending on what other participants throw in Santa's hat. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of your events forecast. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next episode. But until then, happy shipping. Thanks again to Bleshnik for the use of their art and to Only and Marie for tag teaming on the events forecast. Everyone who shared their traditions warmed our hearts as well. We know this year is fucking weird, obviously, and all of our rhythms are different. Farrah and I both wish you and yours a safe season. And in the words of the inimitable Judy Garland, we'll have to muddle through somehow in the hopes that next year our troubles will be out of sight. We'll be back one more time before the end of the year to talk about fandom goal setting and our plans for 2021. In the meantime, if you listen somewhere that's not our website, please rate and review us, especially on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can get in touch with us across any of our socials, drop an anonymous fandom feeling, or holiday message, or comment directly on the episode on our website as well. That's all for now, friends. We'll see you in two weeks for episode 20. You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us.